morning. Good morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And welcome to Black Hawk Church. So my name is Adam Penning. I'm one of the pastors on staff here uh, at uh, Black Hawk Church downtown. So let me say, hey, a little shout out to all the downtowners. Um, and I also want to say welcome to all the college students who've moved into town in the last couple weeks. So uh, we're so glad you're in Madison, and we're so glad that you have chosen this morning to be part of our community, right? We long to be a multicultural, multi-generational community that comes together around Jesus, and, and really, you're a big part of that. So thanks for checking out church, and hopefully you'll check out our college-age ministry, too, uh, after, after services at our Connection Point. Um, and then welcome, actually, there's so many people watching online and at all of our venues here at Brader Way and in Fitchburg, uh, and so thank you, for, thank you for being with us this morning. Well, we have just two stops left in our Rooted series. So this is a series where we've kind of been going through and looking at some of the foundational truths that our faith community is kind of rooted in uh, so that we can kind of grow into them uh, as we sort of experience life in community together. The first couple weeks, we looked at what God has done in the um, past, who he is and how he's worked through Jesus. And then we took a couple weeks and we talked about um, what God, what the Holy Spirit is doing in us now and in our community with the purpose God has for us on the earth. Uh, and these last two weeks, we're going to be talking about some future realities, some things that maybe we don't always think about. So next week, Pastor Matt's going to be talking about what does it mean to think and believe that Jesus will someday return? Uh, and today, we're going to be talking about a future reality, about what is really the shape of our human existence, especially when it comes to thoughts about life and death and what comes afterwards. So we're going to be talking about those future realities. Now, these maybe are things that we don't always think about until maybe something happens and then, oh man, we're thinking about it a lot and kind of pop out of nowhere. And then we think kind of long and hard and it gets kind of serious. Well, a few years ago, uh, our family, we were still living back in New York City and one night we were having a game night with some friends. You know, we're uh, playing Settlers of Catan. Anyone? Anyone? All right, there you go. There you go. Yeah, we're playing some board games. Uh, and one of the friends who was with us was just, you know, there was a group of us, but there was like one of our friends is like a young software engineer who was from the Midwest, living his best life, making a name for himself in New York City. You know, we're playing board games together. And, um, and as we get going, all of a sudden, it's like we're sitting there with cards in our hands around the board, and all of a sudden it gets real serious because we started talking about um, some things that were coming up in the news, you know, and at that time, there were some really intense tensions between the U.S. and North Korea. And when you live in New York, you just sort of assume, like, oh, yeah, we're probably a target. Uh, and we just, you know, it got, it got kind of heavy. We lived in New York for five years. We weren't there for 9-11. But in those five years, there were, like, two or three terrorist attacks, some of them that happened right in our neighborhood, and so for all of us around that table, you know, it wasn't just a thought experiment. It was really pretty sobering. And uh, my software engineer friend, who is also an atheist and a really thoughtful person, was sitting there. And I remember saying, well, gosh, if something happens, at least, you know, at least it'll be over quickly. And my atheist friend got really kind of quiet and serious and a little emotional. And he was like, well, well, that works for you, because you've got heaven. 
I don't have that. When this all over, it's all over. It's the end. I'm terrified of death. And it was a really honest moment where he kind of let us in to the reality of an existence that ultimately was without hope for him. And it was a really tender moment too. And thinking about these things, it can be tender. I know there's some of you right now, it feels really tender. You're like, oh my gosh, we're talking about this. And you just need to know, honestly, today it's pretty tender for me too. Um, it's tender for me and my family. So we are, we're expecting a phone call um, about someone we love that we're losing. And uh, some of you know what that feels like. And so uh, this is tender for me too. You know, and here's my observation though, as I kind of observe my family and I think about my thoughtful atheist friend, what I've observed is the way you see ultimate existence, what life and death and what comes after, it really has an effect on how you live now and what you experience in the present. So what we're going to do today is hopefully we're going to kind of get a picture of what that ultimate reality really looks like so we can see it clearly and let it shape our life in the present. So we're going to look at that uh, and we're going to, to do that, we're going to draw some shapes, all right? So there are some popular ways people think about the shape of life and our human existence. For some, life is a circle, right? There's life, and then there is death. My handwriting is never good, but it's even better on a screen. Um, there's life, and there's death, right? We live, and you live, and then you die, and then you are, you're reincarnated. There's another life. So um, if you do good things and you live a good life, then uh, there's good karma and you come back and you have a better existence your next life. And if you do bad things, there's bad karma and you come back and there's a worse existence after life. This is a very influential thought when it comes to Eastern thought and religion. And actually in very, kind of more popular versions that you might hear about here in America and in the West. And this cycle of suffering just kind of keeps going unless you can kind of escape it. You can break that cycle by sort of expanding your consciousness, detaching from the illusion of suffering, and then you, when you die, finally, at some point, you'll live your last life and your energy will just be absorbed into the universe like a drop of water into a vast ocean. And then that cycle will end. For some, life is a circle. And for others, uh, life is a... Line segment, a line segment. So elementary math, right? Lines go infinitely in two directions, right? A line segment has a beginning, birth, and it has an end, and there is death. And in this view, there is um, there's no uh, ultimate reality. There's no God that exists outside of the material world. This is sort of like a matter realist, a materialist view. That's the technical term where we are all just matter, energy, and chance. Someday, we'll die, and it will be, we'll experience nothing. It'll be no different than what you experienced before birth. Uh, it'll just be nothing, and, um, and it'll all be over. This is sort of the view that my thoughtful atheist friend had in New York. For him, human existence was shaped like a line segment. Uh, and for others, probably a lot of folks, probably a lot of folks in the room and listening right now, there's another view that is popular, and it's sort of like the NCAA bracket, right? Where uh, we're born, we have a beginning, and we live, 
And then at some point we die and there's like a loser's bracket and a winner's bracket, you know? And that goes on forever. Um, If you're good and your good deeds outweigh your bad, you go to the winner's bracket. There's like, uh, it's a good place. And if your bad deeds outweigh your good, then you kind of go to the loser's bracket um, and it's a bad place, right? This is, we might think of it as heaven, right? Where it's sort of like a spiritual existence where there's like bliss and maybe we're with family in the clouds, a harp, a halo, I don't know, you know? There's sort of popular visions of this. And then hell is like a... It's like a subterranean torture chamber that's run by the devil where he kind of punishes people forever. It's a bad place. Now, this view um, is sort of kind of what I grew up with, actually kind of thinking about how life was, how it functioned. And I, I thought, gosh, I'm a pretty good person. I hope I go to the winner's bracket. But there was a lot of insecurity. I didn't know where the line was for if I would win or lose that life. Um... And I knew I didn't want this. This felt really uncomfortable. For a lot of people, this isn't just uncomfortable. This sort of shape of our human existence is actually really offensive, right? It's uncomfortable, it's offensive, and it feels cruel. And they don't want anything to do with a God who would shape our human existence like that, right? The problem, though, with this view is it's not the shape of human existence we find in the Scripture, This view is shaped a lot by Greek mythology, right? Where heaven is at the cloud city with where Mount Olympus and hell is sort of like where the deity Hades lives underground in the realm of the dead and Minos weighs our deeds of good and bad to determine weighs the soul to see where we go. This view is also shaped by like a lot of medieval philosophy and really intense artwork that you've seen, right? Um, uh, and there's some of it, there's a, there's a little that's right, but there's a lot that's not right when it comes to what the, the shape of eternity or existence that we see in the scripture. So if we're going to see the shape of our existence properly, and so it can shape and inform our lives now, right, then we sort of need like corrective lenses, you know, to be able to see it clearly. And for us at Blackhawk, those, those, that corrective lens, it's, um, it's the scripture, Right, the Bible, because this is the these are the words of a God who has created us and created time in eternity, so that we could live the one precious, beautiful life He's given us consistently with the shape of eternity and wisely too. So that's what we're going to look at. So that raises the question: What is how should we see what is sort of the shape of human existence as we see it? In the Bible. Well, um, to see it, we have to go, we have to go to the beginning. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. So in the beginning, there God created humans to be alive with him in unity and harmony in the garden, where heaven and earth were earth were kind of one, and there was like no conflict. It was beautiful. Life was kind of bursting at the seams in this view. And uh, it's not a line segment, it's array, right? Arrays. Start and they uh, keep going forever. And this existence had the potential to go on forever. There was just one rule, one law, and it was don't eat the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the scripture said, For in that day you will certainly die. And so, what did we do? We certainly ate the fruit. And at that moment, 
life was interrupted. And a new sort of plane of existence came into being, uh, an experience of death. Humanity in that moment sort of fell out of the plane of life and we entered into death. The New Testament affirms, it says, the wages of sin is death. And everyone who's ever lived since our first parents fell out of life has been born into an existence of death. We're sort of like spiritual zombies. We are alive in the body, but we're dead in spirit. And this undead existence, it'll kind of continue until one day we die, and it sort of has its fulfillment and its culmination in eternal death, or what we um, commonly think of as hell. Now, this is, uh, this is uh, kind of uncomfortable, right? Even just thinking about this right now. Um, and this is uh, one of the things that I have kind of wrestled with over time. And I, there's a lot of curiosity. Okay, so what is hell really like? There's a lot of energy around this topic. Um, and so we're going to look at some passages of Scripture today that just describe this. Uh, we're going to make some observations and we just got to be careful as we do that, because um, when the scripture talks about this existence, it, it uses a lot of artistic language. It uses poetry and metaphor and a lot of kind of apocalyptic, crazy visions to describe it. And that's not because the authors are wanting to like blur this reality or to water it down. There are certain truths that like only artistic language can describe, and they can do it better than technical language. So the art actually amplifies the picture rather than watering it down. So let's uh, just look at some of these passages. All right. It says, the present heaven and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And God will repay each person according to what they have done for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil. There will be wrath and anger. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. But the subjects of the kingdom, that earthly kingdom, will be thrown outside into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. And they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophets had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. All right, so uh, let's just make some observations. I know all those passages don't all fit on the screen at once. But the first slide said, showed us that in the end, when we die, God will return and there will be judgment. He will hold humanity. He will hold uh, creation accountable uh, for evil and for suffering, for what happens in this life. God will do that. Uh, there are images of, like, fire in here, right? Uh, and another one where it's, like, uh, the picture of worms e eating, decomposing, you know, uh, organic matter. And um, those pictures, those images are really metaphors that describe, like, 
the corruption and the destruction of our humanity, our body and our spirit forever. Um, and then it says, uh, yeah, there's everlasting destruction, that there is blackest darkness. There's also darkness. And darkness is really a picture all throughout the scripture of what it means to be separated from the goodness of a God who is light. And so as we think about fire and we think about darkness in our world, how they operate, they don't really go together, right? Fire creates light and darkness. They don't mix. So however this is going to look in eternity, there will be some sort of corruption and destruction and darkness and separation from God. The other thing that we see is hell is not run by the devil. It was actually created for him. He is not the warden. He's the condemned. Someday, when God judges creation, I think he's probably going to be first in line, right? For God to be like, no, this is wrong, right? It's going to be that lake of fire was created for him. And the other thing we see is that... um, there is sort of a record. There is, we see this picture of books so that there will be a record of our lives and a decree written about our ultimate destiny, whether that is to eternal death or to eternal life. And that goes on forever on this one of these two rays of human existence. So for it's this reason, for those reasons in that passage that our statement of faith says, we believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation in eternal um, conscious punishment. Um, and that's really uncomfortable. You know, when I was actually in college and I was first seriously exploring Christianity in the scriptures, this was one of the things that was like my last, one of my final hangups. So I wrestled with this. This just was really, really uncomfortable. And I know that it's pretty uncomfortable probably for many of you today too. Well, as much as we want to know everything about what this will really look like, we need to remember uh, a simple thing. The Bible doesn't tell us everything we need to know, we want to know, I should say, about everything, but it's sufficient. It tells us everything we need to know about life and death and God and salvation. And so there are some things it tells us, and we just have to be careful not to fill in the gaps with making stuff up about things that God in his wisdom has said, yeah, you don't need to know that. And the other thing is, as few guys are wrestling with it, Chris mentioned this, that we have a, a podcast every Wednesday, and we're going to have more time to dig into this and wrestle with some of these questions together. We're a community that doesn't want to like avoid uncomfortable things, but we want to move towards them together and wrestle with them together to hopefully kind of grow into that, right? Um, and so you can check out our, uh, you can, you know, text in, email in some questions, and we'll wrestle with that Wednesday morning um, in, in our podcast. But let me just say this. Um, as you, uh, as we're thinking about this, let me, let me offer just a couple things super briefly that's been helpful for me as I've wrestled with this. First is the idea of humility, right? Humility. As we come to the scripture and we encounter uncomfortable things, we need humility. There's a certain kind of pride that says if there is a God and there is ultimate reality, then that God won't disagree with me about anything or there's nothing about that reality that won't make me feel uncomfortable. And there's a certain kind of humility that we need as we just sort of enter into this stuff and begin to wrestle with it. 
right? And that's okay. We need that kind of humility. The other thing we need, uh, I think that's been helpful for me, is the thought of like ultimate accountability and ultimate justice. So, um, but you could pick up your phone and open up your news app, right? Or you could scroll through Facebook or Instagram and you're gonna see all sorts of outrage, right? There's all sorts of things in the world right now that feel wrong and that we're mad about. Anger is sort of like our natural response when we encounter something that is wrong. And we think somebody needs to do something about that. It's not right. And when we live in a world where sometimes it feels like those sorts of wrongs and injustices go unpunished, go no one's held accountable for them, we get so mad. I think that anger is actually part of a reflection of the fact that we're made in God's image because when he sees injustice and wrongs, he's mad too. Because his heart is angry and wants to address it. Someday, there will be ultimate accountability and there will be ultimate justice for the things that never receive it in this life. Someday, God will make the world right and good again, and it wouldn't be right or good if he didn't address those things. So as comfortable, uncomfortable as it is to think of a worldview where there is eternal death, I think it's equally uncomfortable to think about a worldview where there is no ultimate accountability or justice. So those are a couple things that um, have been helpful for me. The shape of our human existence along this ray of death is ultimate death and what we think about is hell. And that's actually pretty depressing and grim. But there's hope. There's hope because just as human disobedience interrupted life, God has done something to interrupt death. You see, God... Uh, we, oh, let me say this, we, we weren't like, sometimes we think, oh, we're, we're like, sin didn't just like wound us and we sort of crawl from the wreckage of death into life. No, sin has killed us. And we need God to send somebody into the wreckage of death with the jaws of life to pry death open, right? And we need the Holy Spirit to kind of come with the paddles and like, zick, you know, like shock our heart back to life. And we need Jesus to pull us out of death and to heal our wounds and to give us life and give it abundantly. And that is exactly what God has done for us. It's exactly what he's done. The scripture says this, check this out. It says, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus says, I've come that you could have life and have it abundantly. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves." God has interrupted death and he's done something that we could experience life. And not just like life sometime in the future, but we can experience this abundant and eternal life now. We can experience it when we die and ultimately we can experience it after Jesus returns forever, someday. God has given us life and that's why our statement of faith says, we believe that God will raise the dead bodily 
and judge the world, assigning believers to eternal blessedness with joy, with the Lord in the new heaven and in the new earth. And if I could have you hang on to one phrase that I hope will sort of reshape your imagination about how you think about heaven, is this, that you could download into your brain, it is the phrase, a new heaven and a new earth. Because ultimately, when the story ends, heaven is not a disembodied celestial spiritual life, but it's a real physical life. We don't just go to heaven, but God will bring heaven back to earth. And humanity and God, like in the beginning, in the garden, will exist together and with each other. And it'll be the life in the, in the world as it should be. All the sad and the broken things will come untrue when heaven comes back to earth again. And when we're there, there will be life and it'll be abundantly. Check out this passage from the book of Revelation. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God will be with us, and we will be with him. Heaven will come to earth. No more death. No more crying. What's interesting is at the center of that new creation and that new earth isn't a garden, but it says there's going to be a city a city. And you know, cities at their best are about people coming together, about collaboration, living closely together in unity, creating and achieving beautiful things together. And at the center of this city will be God. And it will be a diverse city. Revelation also says this. It says, um, there will be a great multitude uh, of people uh, that no one could count from every nation tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. <laughs> Heaven will be a, um, a, 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 a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational community of people who have come together around Jesus. I mean, this, what we're doing right now, is actually a dim foreshadowing of a beautiful thing that's going to come someday when heaven comes to earth. And it lasts for all time. And there is life. So this is sort of like the macro level shape of our human existence in the story as the scripture tells it. But you might be thinking, okay, Adam, I get, I, I'm seeing that. Uh, but what does that really look like for my life? Well, that basic shape, like we said, it has a beginning and no end. It is a ray. And in our life, if you know Jesus, right, someday we will die. And then someday Jesus will return. And he will bring heaven to earth and we will be with him forever. In a beautiful world, a physical world, the way it should be. But I know many of you right now might have the question that's like, okay, Adam, but what about this? What happens right here? 
what happens for me or for those I love. Well, the Bible says for those who know Jesus, um, it only talks about this existence like four times in the scripture, right? So, um, so we, we gotta be a little bit careful here, but it, there, the phrase it uses isn't we will go to heaven, but there's another phrase that gets used consistently. And that phrase is we will be with the Lord. The Apostle Paul says uh, to be absent from the body is to be present or at home with the Lord. He says, uh, uh, he says it's a better existence. He says, I don't know. I'm like, if I should uh, kind of stay in this body, I wish uh, if to be uh, departed from here is to be present with the Lord in away from like the brokenness of our earthly life. It's better to be with the Lord. We have been given a promise of with, of with. When, um, when my kids were little, like littler than they are now, you know, when you could like scoop them up and they could fit like really nice and neatly in your arms and lay their head on your shoulder. When they would get hurt, you know, like they'd scrape their knees or they would, you know, be hurt by words from a friend or a sibling. Um, they would often come running, you know, and I would just scoop them up and hold them until they stopped crying and their breathing sort of slowed down and they just relaxed until they were ready to sort of like go run and play and re-engage with the world again. Man, women, if we know Jesus, when we die, we wake up to a new reality, a clear reality where we're with Jesus and that he holds us and comforts us until he is ready for us to go run and play and re-engage with the world again in the new heaven and the new earth as he's created. No more brokenness, no more broken bodies in that world, right? There will be um, no cardiovascular disease. There will be no carpal tunnel, no cancer, no COVID in that world. Uh, it'll be, yeah, it'll be the world as it should be, right? And it will be the life you have longed for. When heaven comes to earth and we get to live forever in a new heaven and a new earth. That is sort of the shape of our human existence. So how do we, how should that shape how we live now? Well, let me just offer a couple things that I think the way this should affect our experience now. First of all, let me just say, your life matters. It matters you have been given one beautiful life, one temporary life now to live for the things that matter most, for the things that matter most to the heart of God. So live it like it matters. Maybe that means there's some reevaluating you need to do. But your life, it really, really matters. And the second thing, the second thing I, is that we can face death and illness and suffering with hope. The Apostle Paul says, we don't grieve like the world who has no hope. But that still means we grieve, right? Like when I think about my thoughtful atheist friend and my family these last couple weeks, as we wrestle with mortality, we're all grieving. There's tears. We don't grieve without hope. We don't grieve without hope. 
Another way this, I think, should affect us is if there is ultimate accountability and justice, and yet God has given us forgiveness and mercy and grace in Jesus, then to live consistently with those two realities means we should be people who extend mercy and forgiveness and grace to the world around us and to those around us. It would be inconsistent to do otherwise. It would also be against God's command because he says, forgive each other. He says, love your enemies. Right? It's inconsistent with this shape of eternity if we hold bitterness and unforgiveness towards other people. Right? I've heard it said it's also just bad for us to hold unforgiveness and bitterness. I've heard it said that uh, unforgiveness is sort of like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right? It hurts us. Finally, if you are someone who knows Jesus, if you're shaped by this reality, then man, you should be someone who brings words of life. Kind of a first responder on the scene of your friends and family who haven't yet come to know the Lord of life. But if you're somebody today and you're like, I'm not sure what I think about that yet. You're still wrestling with it. You don't know. You're processing it. Um, There is another response, and that is a response to make a decision about what what you really think about all of this. It's a decision we have to make. Um, The scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life is a gift. It is not cheap. It is costly, but it's free. It's a gift for you. There's a gift, and you have to choose. Like any gift, will I receive it, or will I actively reject it or just passively, you know, never open up the package? God says, um, choose life. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life, for the Lord is your life. You see, God offers us the gift of eternal life, the invitation to this gift, through an invitation to relationship with himself. Now relationship in the scripture is often described in terms of like a human marriage. When my wife and I decided uh, to get married, when I decided to, that we were going to, I was going to kind of propose, right? Um, we didn't just slide into that. We didn't just show up married one day. Like, we thought about it. We prayed about it. We processed it. And then one day, I decided, okay, I'm going to save some money. Uh, and then I decided I'm going to spend a lot of that money. And I bought her a ring that I, I'm getting too old. I can't take it off now. Um, and I, I bought her the ring, and I got down on a knee, and I, I, I asked her if she would choose life with me. And then she had a decision. If she would say yes. I chose life with her. And she chose life with me. The shape of our human existence it points us to a decision. And we have to say yes or no to it. And so this morning, if um, you're someone and you just sort of feel like uh, maybe you've been here, you've slid into church, or today this is all new, but you're sort of feeling like you're here, God being like, choose life with me. You need to know this. God didn't just get down on a knee, but he went up on a cross. And he didn't extend a ring, but he extended his nail-pierced hands on a cross. 
And as he was bleeding and dying and going through hell, in his infinite mind eye, he could see your face and he could whisper your name as he offered life to you and to me if we would just choose life. So this morning, as I close, I just want to give you a chance to sort of say yes to that proposal. And I'll say a prayer, and you can kind of just pray it in your heart with me, and then I'll pray for all of us too. And we'll jump into worship. But um, if that's you, and today you're like, oh, you're like, you just feel God, and you're like, okay, yep, crud, I got to do this, then just pray this with me. Jesus, I need you. Father, thank you that you sent your son to interrupt my death, that I could have life. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for my sins, you paid the penalty, and you offer me eternal life. Today, I choose life with you. Thank you for choosing life with me. Will you make me the kind of person you want me to be? And for the rest of us, Lord, will you help us live wisely and consistently with the shape of our human existence? That we'd be people of hope and purpose and love and graciousness and words of life for the world that's dying without you. Thank you that you offered your death so that we could live with you in life forever. 